Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, uh, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa. And I am thrilled to have, I will say, a friend first, you know, special guest second. Um, but obviously, it doesn't take the special out of it. Uh, Jeff Favacqua, President of Growth and Development at Cambridge Investment Research. Jeff, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I appreciate it. How you doing, Mark? Great to be here. I'm great. No one ever asks me that on a podcast. So thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but I'm even better because I know that you guys have been very, very busy and you have a lot of really interesting intel insights into some of the growth opportunities into what is a very strange market right, uh, for wealth management in 2023. Jeff, before we get into some of the areas where you're seeing growth, how you're working with some of your advisors across the Cambridge community to help them drive growth. I think it would be helpful to give our audience a little bit of an overview of not just Cambridge, but how the Cambridge business has evolved um, to be a more significant player in the RIA space and also just your role within the Cambridge organization. So Jeff, maybe a little bit of background to kick us off, please. Sure. You know, my role at Cambridge growth and development, as you introduced, is really encompassing Prospective advisors coming into our financial solutions firm, it is the products and services and platforms that we offer to our advisors, the marketing and branding we do for our firm, the events we hold for our advisors or for their meetings themselves with their advisors in their office or their clients. It's all of our insurance and investment teams, our sponsor relation teams, and our consulting service teams, as well as our outsourcing services. So it really has a field force facing uh, feel to it, all the areas of growth and development. But the one thing that's important in that intro is Cambridge being a financial solutions firm. We stopped calling ourselves a broker dealer or an RA a long time ago, because when you look at all the things we do as a firm, we are a broker dealer. We are an RIA. We're a financial planning firm. We're a technology firm. We're an insurance firm. We're an outsourcing firm. We're a consulting firm. We're so many boxes on that diagram that being a broker dealer or an RIA does not encapsulate that for us. So financial solutions firm is where we see ourselves. And we're really talking to advisors that live in all those different worlds. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a great way to summarize you know, not just the state of the Cambridge business, but just the evolution of wealth management in general. Um, you know, so many firms are now you know, describing themselves as more you know, holistic wealth solutions providers, right? Um, which just means that the industry is looking more like client needs, right? Um, and not just you know, business interests. Um, so a great place to start. Jeff, thank you for that. I really do appreciate it. I want to jump right into kind of where we are now in a wealth management market in March of 2023, if we were to you know, look back 12 months ago today, um, it was really sort of the beginning of what was, was a down market that led 
assets in many cases at a lot of our listeners' firms to decline by you know 20, 30 percent. It became that much more difficult in a lot of cases to you know, acquire clients, to really figure out how to grow your business consistently and strategically. That being said, I've said it on this podcast you know a dozen times already. Um, with where we are now in the world, I genuinely believe while it's a bear market, it's a bull market for financial advice. I think people need professional financial advice more than they ever have before. And I, I really do think you know, firms like Cambridge and your advisors are in an amazing opportunity, amazing position to capitalize on a once in a lifetime bull market for advice growth opportunity. Jeff, where are you seeing some growth opportunities you know, across the wealth management landscape? particularly in a market that isn't really providing any you know, passive or market appreciation-based growth? Well, to give a background, it'd probably be fair to the audience. We saw the same decline in 2022 that you described, Mark. We saw the growth rate of the market dropping. I look back at 2022 and the S&P dropped like 19.5% round figures. When I look at and we're metric driven too uh, here at Cambridge. When we looked at our our average mean financial professionals growth rate, they were up four point four percent. Now, granted, it's not down nineteen percent, but a year ago they were tracking at a positive thirty one percent growth. So they saw a decline. So they weren't without seeing a decline, but they were still slightly positive while the the market was down. So when I look at that and I peel the onion back a little bit, you know, what are the things that our advisors doing? And I don't see any one thing, and I'm going to highlight what I mean by that. There's a number of things that they're doing. Cambridge, first of all, we describe our growth overall. There's three legs of our stool. There's recruiting, which is adding new uh, financial professionals to Cambridge. There's organic growth, 3,800 plus financial professionals and how are they growing their existing businesses? And then there's any acquisition activity, whether that could be a broker dealer or an RAA. So when we look at all three of those at where Cambridge is at one and a half billion in revenue and 150 billion plus in AUA, not any one of those things is going to produce double digit growth for us. Mm -hmm. And we, as a, as a company goal, we desire to grow by double digits. So from that perspective, we have to be executing on all three of those legs and we have to be focused on those things. And we, we have to make sure the foundation of each one of the teams that supports or impacts one of those legs is in the middle of where things are in the marketplace, in the middle of where our advisors want to go connected to technology, connected to innovation. If we're not innovating, then we're probably stifled, right? As an industry mm -hmm. and as a firm and as an industry, we always have to be looking of where things are going. It's uh, it's interesting to me to hear that you're having that sort of growth, right? And I'd love to dig in a little bit more to just get a sense if there are certain areas. And trust me, I know how fragmented this business is. We were just hosting a, a think tank with about 40 you know, very large firms a week or so ago. And when we really dug in and asked what's driving growth or what could drive growth, we got 40 different answers, right? <laughs> um, so I fully appreciate how difficult it is to summarize all of the growth opportunities that are out there. But I, I haven't talked to a lot of firms that are you know, reporting the kind of net new you know, growth rates that you just mentioned. Um, so are there specific things that seem to be, if you had to look for trends, or you know, themes, or there's certain things that are actually driving more strategic growth from an organic perspective. 
Yeah, I, actually, I'll, maybe I hit all three for you. So from a recruiting perspective, we have not fallen off. Even with the down market, we've been regularly recruiting every year 70 to 80 million over the last probably five or six years and longer. So it really, ha- even with the down market, uh, market hasn't dropped off. But mm-hmm. to my comment earlier, that's only single digits when you think of 70 or 80 million out of 1.5 billion. Yeah. So it's it alone is not going to get us to our desired goal of double digit growth. Now we look at the organic growth of how our existing advisors are doing. And it's important if anybody out there is thinking, well, maybe I should start measuring my business. How do I do that? I'll tell you how Cambridge does it. We only look at advisors that have been with us three years or longer and doing at least 25,000 or more in revenue. And what that does is it eliminates the noise of new people transitioning to your firm, learning technology, learning platforms, moving their clients over. You get past a lot of that noise and you you get people that are actually doing business and moving forward. So you find a, a sweet spot and knowing where your growth is, and then you can drill into their activity to say what are, what's going on with their activity from an organic growth perspective. And then you've got acquisitions and there are people out there. And I, I put our... I put advisors that are in the acquisition mode, they're into three categories. There's people that are either, you know, equated to technology. You're either an early adopter and doing a lot of acquisitions, like a serial acquirer. You're mainstream. If one comes along, I'll do it. And if it it matches up to my business or I'm a laggard, I'm never going to do an acquisition. It's not part of my business plan. I see you said it earlier, there's advisors that will be in any one of those channels from an M&A activity perspective. But looking at each of those, like what are the trends that we're seeing? The first thing I will say is there's got to be purposeful or strategic growth. Anything, it's real easy to talk to a financial professional, peel back a little bit and figure out whether it's accidental growth or purposeful growth. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that is I'm a believer that if somebody says to me, I want to grow double digits like Cambridge, how do I do that? It's not going to be through referrals. They have to be focused. You asked organic growth. What are their campaigns? What are their niches? Whatever words we want to use, we have to zero in on what is a strategic and purposeful approach to that. And then how are they measuring it? There's a Elon Musk, whether you're a fan or not, had a phrase about failing fast. There's a lot of advisors that could spend a lot of time on campaigns that aren't right or failing, but not stopping them soon enough. And where I see success is advisors that have a campaign planned out, whether it's developing more money from existing clients or it's referrals or it's new clients through organic methods, marketing, meetings client events, et cetera, they're purposeful about it. They have a plan and then they can measure it and know whether it's working or not and stop it if it's not producing the results they want. So for me, those are the first things you can pick up from a financial professional that knows exactly how they're succeeding organically and what it's driving and they're moving. Otherwise, if they don't have campaigns, if they're not thinking of how am I going to do and what am I going to do, then to me, that's accidental growth and it's probably not repeatable. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate the way you described that. And I also appreciate your use of data. You know how near and dear to my heart, you know, the benchmarking can be. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I think it's important. Like one of the 
aha moments for me early on when I first started to use you know, data to help with you know, some consulting and just broader guidance right, around growth. Um, we talk so much just about you know raw asset growth. You know, I think over the last 10 years, 25 to 50% of the growth in any given year came from market appreciation, right? On the other end of it, you ha have to look at what's going out as well, right? And there were you know, four and a half to six and a half percent of a firm's total assets going out the door every year, right? Because people are retiring, uh, people are moving on to other advisors, and they're taking distributions and drawdowns, right? So just kind of putting that into context, like those barbells, right? You don't have the market appreciation anymore. And you likely have more and more clients who are drawing down and you have a hurdle rate of four or five, 6% every year. So to drive that purposeful, strategic type of growth that you just talked about, it's not just important, it's actually critical, right? Otherwise, you know, it's no longer a growth industry. And we, know, we all know how many opportunities there are. With that, you touched on marketing and this idea of failing fast. And I have to give you a shout out, Jeff. Uh, you are the 2022 Chief Marketing Officer of the Year, according to us, right? Uh, and you received the Wealth Management Industry Award last year, well-deserved. From a marketing perspective, I'm curious, I mean, as you look out, not just at what Cambridge is doing, but at what you know, Cambridge's advisors are doing, are there any pieces of advice or any learnings you know, that you would pass on to our audience in terms of putting you know, an appropriate marketing strategy in place? Everybody here at Cambridge, and I think you know this too, I'm a big movie quote guy. Um, I find a lot of closeness and connection to movie quotes. And the one, and this is really, as I thought about talking to you today, it's it's funny how that we've got the recent banking activity going on the last week. And I started to think about Margin Call. It was a movie with Jeremy Irons, Irons excuse me, um, and Lehman Brothers. And there's a quote early on in the movie that He's sitting at the table when they're realizing what's going wrong. And he, he says to the table, do you know why I'm here? I'm here to tell everybody when the music's going to stop and when we should get off and what to do. And I say that here, getting back to my last comment, is the advisors are the one in those seats from a marketing perspective, to your question now. They're mm -hmm. the ones who need to know where they're going, but they're most importantly, they need to know when the music stops and when to move. And the things that I think they should be focused on and watching, my personal opinion, lead generation is for all the three legs of my stool, recruiting, organic growth, or M&A activity, it comes down to lead generation. And getting back to my data and some of those things I shared with you when you were talking about the down market, what did I see from a data perspective that gives me comfort in that growth figure? I saw new accounts being opened and I saw new assets coming in. So to me, I'm not looking at a lagging indicator like a year later saying, oh, where are our assets up or down mm -hmm. market exposure? I'm looking at month over month activity of advisors opening up new accounts and developing new relationships with clients, which means they're putting themselves out there. And I'll come back to that one in a second. Sure. So that to me means whatever the market does, they're po they're poised to rebound because they're opening new accounts. So yes, they're depressed and some could be slightly positive or slightly negative, but they're poised to rebound better because they're still putting themselves out there and finding new clients and new business it's just to your point, it's depressed because of market values. And, and that's kind of masking some of that underlying 
successful activity. So lead generation number one, and then my second thing I'll come back to is put yourself out there. If you're not putting yourself out there, and I'm not limiting it to any one type of activity, advisors, ensemble teams, larger enterprise organizations, you have to put yourself out there to be seen and known and heard, right? I like to say with a lot of my um, associates here, show up, have an opinion, say something. To me, that's the same thing for advisors and their teams. They have to show up. They have to be seen and heard and say something to attract those those clients or leads for acquisitions, et cetera. So to me, that's the top of my uh, marketing list for organic growth. It's without lead generation, then where's anything coming from? Again, my comment about referral is not going to be enough to really knock it out of the park and get you where you want to go from a double-digit growth perspective. But then you have to know some of the other things. You and I have a, a little bit of a love for data, as you said. Where's it coming from? How much does it cost to get it? Mm-hmm. Is that any cheaper for doing organic growth than it is acquisition growth? If you don't know, then you don't know where you're starting from. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point and probably an RAA Edge episode in and of itself, right? There are all of these tools where you can go out and acquire leads, right? Um, and just having a framework for understanding how to actually not only convert them into a client, but are you getting the right ROI, right? Um, is something that is fairly new to a lot of firms out there. I think yeah, your point just about you know, being in market and having a voice and a presence, um, that is one of the things that we're seeing some of the most successful firms are doing properly right now. Um, you know, marketing is a very different mindset from you know, selling. And while they're connected at the hip, um, it's a right brain, left brain type of approach. And we've definitely seen some firms, they wake up every morning, the leaders of these firms, and they think about growth, right? Um, that's what that's where they get their energy from. Um, and they're the ones who are experimenting. They may be failing not so fast, right? Um, but learning and then applying what they're learning, right, from their mistakes. And we've just had I mentioned one firm, you know, Crescent was on RIA Edge uh, last year, and they brought in a billion dollars in net new assets in a year through some digital, really thoughtful digital marketing um, approaches, leveraging search, you know, SEM, all of that. Um, so there's a lot of really interesting and intelligent stuff that's happening behind the scenes. Um, and I think, you know, you sharing some of your thoughts on it, you're absolutely putting it front and center. And I know we've talked a lot about organic growth, but, you know, the M&A world where I know you spend you know some time as well. Um and I would say exclusive of recruiting, right? Because you could look at recruiting as being inorganic. Um, but when you look at some of the M&A activity that's out there right now, and Cambridge has become you know, more active over the years in the M&A ecosystem, how would you categorize, one, you know, the state of the M&A market and the opportunities right now, and two, you know, the quality of some of the opportunities that are out there? The state of the M&A activity, I think you already kind of alluded to it earlier, and I'll build on it, is depressed markets, right? So when you think about where we were a year ago at higher values, there's still M&A activity going on. Have we all seen a drop-off? Sure. And I think one of the main reasons is that sellers are looking at going, a year ago, I could have sold at X, and now I... I'd have to sell it. Why? Do I really want to sell? Do I wait for the market to rebound and values to come back up? And, and that, to me, is just as uh, in the mix of conversations as any other factor, and probably more so for some sellers. It's not the right time to sell. I'd rather wait. It's like selling a house, right? Market 
press values of a house. Do I want to sell my house now? Do I have to? If I don't have to, I'm going to wait for the market to come back. Then I'll sell my house. It's the same concept here yeah. with firms. If an advisor is not, you know, a, if a life event isn't driving the selling activity, then it's a timing thing. And if they have the ability to wait and we all coach all these firms, everybody has coached them strategically, uh, whether within Cambridge or outside coaches or their, their own decisions have driven them to build strong, repeatable, recurring revenue firms. So they're not forced to potentially, I've got to sell today versus tomorrow. Right. They have the ability to wait if there's no life event driving that. And I don't wish that on anybody. It's just, when do you find two ready and willing uh, people, a seller and a buyer that are ready to do a deal? And it's more important about building the relationship and finding the time, which is networking, right? It's pipeline, it's networking. We deal with it with recruiting all the time. It's the same on the acquisition side. You're developing a relationship. Hopefully you've built an emergency plan with that same person and you're just waiting for the time when the actual succession plan takes effect. Whether it's all at once or in stages, I think that's, I know there's a lot in that mark from a year ago to now, but that's some of the activity. It's still going on, but it's probably just being affected and interest rates though you know, haven't helped the cost of money and where people's appetites are at from a buyer perspective, what are they willing to pay and finance for time value of money? All those things are probably coming top of mind now versus a year ago. Yeah, I think that's spot on because the 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 why hasn't changed right behind M&A. It's another W that sort of entered the picture and that's weight. Yeah. Um, that has put some of, I know certain firms, their plans or planning uh, either on hold or it's extended it. And it, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me because you mentioned a life event, or it could also just be a demographic, you know, where you are in your career and how much longer you want to work. Um, but outside of those, let's call them you know, more urgent types of you know, M&A transactions, we saw a lot of sell and stay um, deals that took place over the last you know three to five years. Um, that's where I'm seeing some slowdown, right? That's where I'm seeing the weight um, really come into play because you know, if they can figure out how to grow on their own independently right now, markets rebound two, three, four years from now, right? They're able to get an even higher valuation on a business that is you know, in growth mode. Um, you know, there, there may be a benefit to waiting if you have the luxury of time, right? In that sense. It um, is. It, 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 sell and stay, sorry. Sell and stay is synonymous with selling, we'll use the term selling in tranches. Mm -hmm. um, they take a couple chips off the table, but not all of them. And they they stay around to help build and sell the next tranche at a higher price. Like, And then at the end of the day, you said it, and I agree with you, selling of the multiple pieces usually lends to a higher value than selling all today. Um, regardless of the market being up or down, that opportunity exists for them. And that is a nice I'll say it's a nice carrot for some sellers that they sometimes haven't thought about. But when you consult and you talk through what's important to them and how do you build a plan that's that works for them and their individual needs, you usually start talking about different options than were thought of before. Yep, I mean, it, it's one of the other uh, sort of softer ben benefits of being in this industry. There are not a lot of businesses where you could sell your firm twice, right? Not a lot of industries, I should say. Um, and I think, you know, for those people who are, you know, creative, thoughtful, 
and are you know not just being strategic, but really putting a plan in place that might have a five to ten or even fifteen year horizon. Um, you know, there are more options available than ever before, which obviously works to an advisor or a founder's you know, advantage. So you just need to think them through. You need to have a plan um, and really, you know, obviously stay focused and work towards it. Um, with that, Jeff, you know, I had one final question. I, I will ask you to just look into your crystal ball, right? Not look too far out. But let's just say we have you back on the RA Edge podcast in March of 2024. Um, what are some things from a macro perspective, if you look at the wealth management industry, you would expect to take place that might influence the growth right, of our space? This is a little bit of forward looking to your question and also a hope. Um, a long time ago, I took the word practice out of my vernacular. Um, I refer to a financial professional as having a business. Whether we use financial professional advisor, same, having a business. I would hope more and more people stop using the word practice. They don't think revenue minus expenses equals checkbook. They think of it as a business. Mm -hmm. And this connects to the last comments that you and I were just talking about. In a year from now, if more people are running it like a business, then they're thinking of their next generation leadership. They're thinking of building a succession plan for and with their next generation, what does it look like? What is the growth opportunity that their next generation owner wants to do? It could be different than the selling. You know, the, a lot of the time conversations happen with is somebody trying to build a legacy and pass that on. But when you start operating as a team, it's a business and you could have G2 and G3 in your teams. And how are you setting the decisions you make today to bring them in? keep them in and then repeat that into the next generation. So to me, a year from now, I would hope more people are running their businesses like a business. Whether And it's not just investment management. We have mm -hmm. so many hats to wear. And I know I use this cliche all the time. More people have different roles within that business from HR and marketing and M&A activity to investment management and financial planning and and so many other hats, like ha having the right people, wearing the right hat with the organization, that to me will set themselves up for, in this example, if they want to do acquisitions, they are doing it with a strategic purpose in mind. What types of businesses would fit in there that they want to, would acquire and fit neatly into their business and assimilate well? And being able to identify the ones that don't and saying no to the ones that don't. And not just doing an acquisition for the sake of an acquisition. To me, how do, which really in a year from now, I'm saying, how do we all get better at doing the things that we're individually good at or our business is individually good at? Yeah, I, I will take it one step further and say, maybe look three years out for this one. But um, the word practice, uh, I think really only should apply to the true you know, solo practitioners at this point. Um, and anybody who runs a multi, you know, partner or an ensemble firm should be thinking about themselves as a business. I think if you look out a little bit further, I'd love to see the language and the thought process evolve. And we go from running practices to running businesses, but then from running businesses to running platforms, right? And I know platform is a word that consultants love and nobody else really uses it, right? <laughs> but to me, platform means you're thinking about your growth and you're built to scale essentially on the three legs of the stool, right? That you were talking about before. You have people in place 
who can run recruiting, people who can run the organic growth and oversee it, and people who can, you know, focus on and run you know, the organic, the M&A activity, right? And that may be at the largest end of the market, but I, I just use that as a very specific example or framework um, to kind of tie uh, a, a bow around you know, your thought process. I think we're not that far from it, right? We, and at we, the upper end of the RIA market, we've seen it. We have a, I think we have a problem ahead of us. And I'll use some Cerulli data. Um, at, at one point in the last 15 years, I think the highest number I saw financial professionals reported was like 330,000 and change. And then just recently, I saw the, a recent number posted in a, a presentation that said the, the current number was 288,900 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I took that and I sat back and I was like, that's a drop of 40,000 financial professionals. And let's just call that over the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. I look at that and say to your question about what is three years out, that means we have people, financial professionals that ha that have more clients than 10, 15 years ago. So they have to do more with the same amount of resources or they have to do more with less. Um, if there's how, so I said lead generation earlier when I was talking about from a marketing perspective, and I still think mm -hmm. that's important, but we have to figure out how we're developing talent. If we don't develop talent for our teams and our business, then we have to then beware of that shrinking number, have the platforms, the technology, the tools to handle more clients with the same or less number of people in the business today, in the future than we have today. And that I think is a, is a bigger challenge on the horizon that we all need to be talking about as industry. That's not a Cambridge and um, Mark Bruno conversation. Yeah, I think it's most definitely, and I look at the sort of mega trends, right? That is you know, top three um, you know, for the wealth management industry. And it is a potential problem. I also think it's a potential opportunity. Um, you know, I think I've seen what really good financial advisors and financial planners can do for people. Um, and I think, you know, the industry can do a better job of you know, telling its own story. <laughs> um, but I think you know, there is a growing appreciation for you know, the power of advice. Um, and as that number shrinks and the opportunity expands, hopefully that it does open the door for new entrants. You talked about next gen before to come in um, and do some things that really you know, need to be done right now, which is figure out how to connect with it, the next generation of investors as well. Um, so yes, there might be a, a talent crisis, but I also, I, I'm an optimist. I look at it as an opportunity, right? For more people to come into the business, bring new thinking, bring you know, new energy, and hopefully you know, bring a way to connect with new clients, right? And that next generation of investors as well. Um, so Jeff, you always, I, I tried to give you a crystal ball to end with, and we landed on a mega trend that we could do another uh, podcast episode on. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, but Jeff, I, I can't thank you enough for stopping by. I think this for me was a different kind of RA edge episode, right? We didn't just talk about M&A. We didn't just talk about organic growth. Um, we, we really talked about how your business and a lot of the advisors that you, you know, do business with, how it's evolved in lockstep with the needs and demands of clients. Um, so Jeff, thank you for taking some time and giving our audience and me some additional visibility into the Cambridge business. Mark, it's great to work with you and I look forward to working with you in the future. All right. And a reminder to everybody here, your official reminder to mark your calendar for May 21st through May 24th for the annual RIA Edge and Wealth Management Edge 
conference where we'll be diving into more human capital, M&A, and organic growth strategies for three full action-packed days at the Diplomat Hotel in Hollywood, Florida. On behalf of the wealth management team at Informa and RA Edge, Jeff, thank you for stopping by. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the RA Edge podcast. We'll catch you all on the very next episode. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.